Wrapping up this Saturday morning here on Sports Medicine Weekly. Again, Steve Cashel back with you along with Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph subbing this week for Dr. Brian Cole. Dr. Chuck is a team physician with the Chicago White Sox and Chicago Bulls. He was the head team physician for the Chicago White Sox for 14 years. Why did that change, by the way, Doc? You know, Steve, uh, I hit a point in my life where I uh, had commitments, and uh, I was uh, luckily elected. I became president of the AOSSM, or the American Orthopedic Sports Medicine Society, which is our national sports medicine society of 4,000 sports docs like myself, and uh, had the honor of leading the organization. I had to do a lot of travel, both local and international, and uh, give a lot of talks and speeches. So, uh, you know, after 14 years, I thought it was time to pass the baton, and uh, uh, my uh, partner and good friend, Dr. Nick Verma, has taken over as head physician. Him and I still work together for the White closely Sox. for the White Sox, and uh, still working with Dr. Cole a lot on the, on the Chicago Bulls. Uh, so it's been fun. You and know, you I'm, still do some White Sox stuff, right? Still doing it. Yeah, I'm still going to spring training and covering games and still covering Bulls games. Uh, my presidential duties were a lot of fun. You get to interact with sports medicine surgeons of all levels all over the country, if not even all over the world. And I can tell you, in my international travels, they all want to know what we do here. They all want to know how we treat our professional athletes. You know, whether it be South America or Europe or Asia, uh, it was very interesting. We're still the, the center of orthopedic knowledge and specifically in sports medicine. If you look at articles published in sports medicine, over 60% of all pub- our articles published internationally come out of the United States. Many of them come out of Russia and Chicago. Absolutely, that's why we're one of the leading institutions in the country and proud to be part of it. Well, if, when you're around the world, it helps to have a six-time world champion to talk about that you work with the Bulls and a World Series champion with the White Sox, right? I, I will admit that when I'm on international travel, they all know the Bulls. The White Sox, uh, they say Cubs more often than Sox. So. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, time now for our Ask the Doctor segment. Very simple, folks. If you want to get involved, you go to our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com, and on our homepage, you'll see a picture of Dr. Brian Cole and myself. Right underneath our picture, you can click on a link and ask the doctor a question. All right, first one I've got here from Harvey in uh, Northbrook. All right, Doc, this one's for you. How do I improve my flexibility because I am extremely unflexible? You know, Steve, i got to tell you, this is probably the most common thing why patients come to see us, certainly in patients over the age of 40. We all get tighter as we get older. Our collagen starts to cross-link more. So our tendon and ligaments just naturally get stiffer. So that's a normal process of aging. Now, if you're starting a little bit stiff, you're going to end up a lot more stiff. If you're starting out hyperflexible, uh, then maybe it won't bother you, that, that interval change. So really, I tell patients over the age of 40 that flexibility is much more important than strength. We, you and I both, we're at that age. We want to lift weights so that our wives still love us and we got some biceps and triceps. But right. reality, for our health, function, and sports participation, flexibility is much more important. Now, flexibility comes in three ways. Number one, if you try to do it rapidly and ballistically, the old bounce, real hard stretching, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to tear a muscle, strain something. So our usual rule of thumb on dealing with flexibility is warm up, stretch out, work out, ice down. Okay, so if you, we always stretch warm. So if you look at Paul Konerko, Paul was the tightest guy I've ever dealt with in professional athletics. Really? He could barely touch his kneecaps when he'd walk into the locker room. So Paul would get rubbed down, we'd throw him into the hot tub, he'd heat himself up, then we would stretch him out. And, and with a, in Paul's case, with the assistance of Alan Thomas, our head strength and conditioning trainer. And then we'd get Paul to a, an appropriate flexibility level. He'd run out and do his practice or the game. That was and before then, every game then? Before every game. Wow. Well, spring Paul, training too before spring practice. Training wow. Is that right? And, and as he aged, it actually got worse. 
So for all of us, that's a natural aging phenomenon. So the, the, I, I think the bottom line here is stretching warm. So normally we say you get on the exercise cycle, get on the elliptical for th- three, five minutes. Just get your heart rate up, get muscle flow, get blood flow into the muscle groups that you're going to stretch. Then you get down on the mat. And to me, the most important thing is hamstring flexibility. Certain guys our age, the hamstring is the, the pelvis is our pivot point. If our hamstrings are too tight, we're either going to have tight hamstrings and sore knees or we're going to have a sore low back. Those secondary is in your gastrox, your calf muscles. Those are the, if you work hamstrings, number one, prioritize calf, number two, and then number three is groin muscles. I think if you work that level, then that's going to give you the proper warm-up where you can enjoy your workout or your competition with lower risk of injury. Don't you wish, Doc, we could do that on the golf course? Now, I know these professional players like Tiger Woods, the PGA Tour professionals, you know, they'll get in the trailer before, right? They've got the big medical trailers, and they will stretch these guys out and do everything that, like, Paul Konerko had done for him. I mean, I get on the golf course, and they said, well, run in place, do some jumping jacks before you go to the range. It's hard to do on the range. Let's be honest. It really is. I, I don't know how to stretch other than slowly hit some wedge shots and maybe even putt before I hit any, you know, long irons, but it's hard for me to get on the golf course, uh, especially when you just, some people run late, as I do every now and then, you jump on the first tee without hitting a ball, that's the worst. You know, Steve, I'm a victim of my own uh, of my own concern. I've had two back surgeries, and both of them occurred because of the circumstance you said. Is that right? I was late, I had a match, I ran to the first tee, took a couple big swings, felt a pop, and had to walk off the course by the fifth oh, hole, no. and, I, and subsequently led to two back operations. So, I am much more religious about it now, and maybe... What do you do? You know, I actually, I get up early. I'll get up early, and I'll go down my basement, and uh, I'll get on my, I've got elliptical, I'll warm up for five minutes, and then I just get down on the mat for about 15, 20 minutes. And when I do that, and especially I get my hamstring and my groin, because it's all about weight shift, it's all about rotation as opposed to sway, uh, then I function, I play much better golf, you know? And so, uh, I hate to say it, we have to prioritize it. Now, the problem is with most patients say there's no cardiac value, there's no weight loss value, uh, there's no appearance value to flexibility. So we normally prioritize our exercise to calorie loss, uh, strength and appearance uh, and function, whereas reality, that flexibility warm-up is probably the most important thing about all our function results. Interesting stuff. Again, Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph with us this week, subbing for Dr. Brian Cole. Okay, next uh, question in our Ask the Doctor segment. Dr. Chuck is uh, something out of the uh, realm of orthopedic uh, practice. And this comes from Jimmy and Derry and asking, what's new with this year's flu vaccine? Well, you know, Steve, uh, despite being an orthopedic surgeon, I actually do have a little bit of expertise in this. And in the background, and this is, you know, as I work in a hospital as a surgeon, we are mandated to have the flu vaccine every year. We have no choice. If okay. you don't have your flu vaccine sticker, you're, you can't even walk in the hospital. So the, the theory is, is that the flu vaccine is, is a cultures that are developed months before the flu season. And so the scientists need to really almost prognosticate where, which strain of virus is going to be the most virulent. And so every year they take a guess at it. And it is indeed an educated guess. Unfortunately, for the 2017 flu season, the vaccine was only about 30% effective for the actual flu viruses that were symptomatic and and infecting patients. The theory is this year they've got a much better estimation. The preliminary data they have on the flu strains that are out in the community are much better aligned to the vaccine. So we're hopeful we're closer to a 70 to 80% effectiveness rate of the vaccine. 
We always hear it's made with eggs. Is that true? Well, there's a lot of it, it's biologic. It's all proprietary. It's very, very expensive. It's not just dipping it in an egg. And I will <laughs> let me dispel one last myth that, yeah. that is say that I always believe that, yeah, I'm getting a flu vaccine. I'm going to get flu symptoms. Because the old theory was, well, you're getting dead or deactivated virus, but you'll still have some reaction. And to me, I personally thought that was the case. I'd get the flu vaccine. I'd kind of feel lousy for a day or so. Yeah. Uh, I, I've talked to every infectious disease doctor who said it's all in your head. That's the placebo effect. Whether that's true or not, that's sort of the information I've gotten on it's that. It's good to ask that question, though. I'd like to know that, too, right? That's, I, you got to ask the question. I we all feel kind of weak or, you know, oh, my arm hurts. Or I feel a little flu bug uh, coming on. Uh, Steve, I would, I would use that as an excuse. I'm going to go home and take a nap. <laughs> good stuff. All right. Last one uh, before we say goodbye and turn it over to Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel coming up next here on 670 The Score in our Ask the Doctor segment. This is from uh, Ronald uh, asking you this question. I'm a runner, 65 years old. I've had two arthroscopic surgeries on my knees. My doctor said I have arthritis. Besides cortisone shots, what else can I do? You know, well, there's a couple things to look at. You know, uh, generally the rule of thumb is that if you tear a meniscus and you get your knee scoped and you were a runner beforehand, your odds of returning to running are probably about 70%. Now, that 70% is sort of compounded now after a second surgery. In reality, the more shock absorber, the more meniscus you lose, the less your ability to take impact and load. So I'm assuming that you've obviously had two scopes now. Uh, there's a couple other prognostic things we roll into this. If you're bow-legged, uh, and you lose your medial meniscus, that's a much worse prognosis, where if you're a little bit not knock-kneed, that's a better prognosis. So if the steroid shots start not to work, the next level of care we go to are these visco shots or the visco supplementation shots. And, you know, it's a little bit di dicey to approve. The, the physicians, your providers have to go through some hoops to get them approved. But in reality, I find those effective in patients, probably about anywhere from 60 to 75% of patients who get these visco shots can get to a higher level of function. Now, if you've had the visco shots and those have failed, then you're getting into the experimental reign, and then that's where we start our PRP shots, our stem cells, and all, all those other types of which we would consider, or what the FDA considers, experimental types of therapies and treatments. Lots and lots of information in the lay press. Some of it's a little bit concerning. Some ads are misleading. Some are appropriately cautioned. The one thing I can tell you for sure, insurance is paying for none of this. This is all out-of-the-pocket expense paid for by the patient that can go anywhere from eight, nine hundred dollars up to two or three, four thousand dollars. And so as consumers, we have to be very, very careful. And I really suggest to all that if you're considering these types of alternative biologic alternatives to care, these are things you should be discussing either with your primary care physician or more importantly with an orthopedic surgeon. There's lots of ads. The Chicago Tribune every week has full page ads on stem cell and regeneration clinics. I'm telling you right now, none of this is approved by the FDA. Some of it is effective. The effectiveness is variable, but you need to be educated. Again, anything that sounds too good to be true usually is, is not. So, Wonderful stuff, Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph. Really appreciate it, Dr. Chuck, joining me. It's great sitting in here at the studio with you, and uh, thanks for sharing everything you had this morning. I appreciate the opportunity. Long-time listener, and I always enjoy my opportunities to be a host. And again, folks, if you want to join in on our Ask the Doctor segment, please submit your questions to sportsmedicineweekly.com right underneath our homepage picture of Dr. Brian Cole and myself. We're out of time. Any thanks to our producer, Eli Hershkovich, also Shane Reardon. Our coordinating producer is Teresa Ann Seeger. Also want to thank David Cole for managing 
managing our website and our business operations, and Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Charles Bush Joseph, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. Thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly. Up next here on The Score, it is Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel. Talk with you again next week, only on 670 The Score.